This is the Daily Texan Newscast for the week ending in October 9th. I'm Anthony Green. And I'm Lillian Michel. This week in news, the appearance of a 4chan post warning students in the Austin area not to go to school the next day had many UT students worried Monday night. The original post, which has since been deleted, resembled one posted days earlier on 4chan warning students in the Northwest not to go to school on Thursday. That Thursday, a shooting occurred at Umco Community College in Oregon, which resulted in the death of 10 people, including the shooter. Monday night, UTBD notified students via email that they had deemed the threat non-credible. Many students felt that the department's response was vague and that they had not taken students' concerns seriously enough. Later, UTBD Chief David Carter said there were several factors, including the language and construction of the post, and the lack of a specific threat or target that went into assessing the credibility of the Austin threat. On Tuesday, law enforcement agencies continued to investigate the source of the threat. Austin's economy is the fastest growing out of large cities in the U.S., this according to a report released last week by the financial service WalletHub. WalletHub spokeswoman and analyst Jill Gonzalez said UT gives students access to diverse career possibilities in the strong Austin economy while simultaneously accelerating the local economy by attracting and placing talent. While Austin's growth is broad and fast, it isn't equal across every industry sector. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, the leisure and hospitality and professional and business services sectors saw the greatest job growth this year, while the manufacturing sector saw a decline in employment. Austin's unemployment rate is 3.2% compared to the national average of 5.1%. According to UT's International Student and Scholar Services, China has been the top contributor of international students at UT for the past four years. During the 2014-2015 school year, Chinese students comprised 23% of all international students enrolled at the university. The influx is being credited to the competitive nature of the college application system in China and the combination of quality, affordability, and inclusive application systems that American universities like UT provide. University President Gregory Finvez announced Tuesday that Daniel Jaffe will be the new vice president of research for the university. Juan Sanchez, who held the position for the last 16 years, announced he would step down around the time former President William Powers Jr. and other higher faculty members left their positions. Jaffe formerly served as the assistant chair of the astronomy department from 2000 to 2011 and served as as the chair of the department until 2015. Jaffe was previously on the board of the Gemini Observatory for the Twin Telescopes in Hawaii and Chile. Beginning next month, University Health Services will partner with the UT School of Nursing to provide billing services and credential health providers for the school's Family Wellness Center and Children's Wellness Center. The new agreement is expected to lower costs to the nursing school when compared to the price of maintaining its previous contract with a community vendor. The partnership will also allow nursing students to provide care for underserved populations while preparing for the sort of work they'll be doing when they enter the professional medical field. After primarily researching rodents, assistant neuroscience professor Boris Zemmelman and his research teams can now begin studying how neurons communicate in mammals with larger brains that are more closely related to humans. Zemmelman is part of three research teams that were recently awarded a total of $4 million in grants from the National Institutes of Health. In addition to other tools, the three teams are all looking to expand their use of optogenetics, which uses light to manipulate neurons in animals. The three grants are part of the Brain Research Through Advancing Innovative Neurotechnologies Initiative, which President Barack Obama launched in September of last year to develop new techniques for mapping the brain. Ahead of the U.S. Supreme Court's second hearing of the Fisher v. University of Texas, 
Texas case, the NAACP is conducting a questionnaire with UT's Black Student Alliance to gather information for a brief it will file in the case. Abigail Fisher, a white applicant who was not in the top 10% of her high school's graduating class and was denied admission to UT in 2008, sued the school on the basis that the university's race-conscious admissions policy discriminately led to her rejection. In 2013, the Supreme Court returned her case to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which ruled in the university's favor. At Fisher's request, the court is preparing to hear her case for a second time this term. According to former president of the Black Student Alliance, David McDonald Jr., the questionnaire, open exclusively to students in the BSA, will provide a qualitative analysis of the experiences of students of color at UT and the impact a lack of racial diversity has had on them. At the upcoming 67th Annual Engineering Emmy Awards, an engineering team from UT will be honored with the Outstanding Achievement in Engineering Development Award in Hollywood. The National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences will present the award to electrical and computer engineering professor Alan Bovik, alumni Zhu Wang and Hamid Sheik, and collaborator Aero Simoncelli on October 28th. The team is the first academic group to receive the Primetime Emmy Engineering Award statuette since its inception in 1948. The team developed an advanced algorithm, the Structural Similarity Video Quality Measurement Model, to estimate human perception of video quality. This is according to a statement from UT. This technology predicts the human assessment of video quality to let video producers know how much to compress videos when they are transmitted. Due to its computational simplicity, the measurement model is now the most widely used perceptual video quality measurement across the entertainment industry. Last summer, UT began its move from an outdated mainframe computer system to a modern cloud system, which it hopes to complete by 2020. The mainframe system, popular in the 1980s and 1990s, was a large-scale computer system used for processing bulk data. The cloud system relies on the internet for storing and accessing data, which means the equipment does not have to be kept on site. The new system will replace the human resources payroll system as well as the finance and procurement system. These changes will make it easier for customers and employees to pay bills, make purchases, and even clock in and clock out from their phones, according to Director of Payroll Services Leslie Saucedo. The most recent annual projected plate waste accumulated from UT dining halls has gone down from 43.59 tons to projected 35 tons since fall of last year. This according to a study by the Division of Housing and Food Service. The almost 9-ton decrease in food waste comes from a larger plan to decrease waste on campus from a current 45% diversion rate to a 90% diversion rate by the year 2020. This according to environmental specialist with DHFS Hunter Mangrum. Diversion rate is the amount of solid waste and materials being collected and transported away from the landfills, such as recycling. According to Mangrum, the average student wastes 12 ounces of food, the size of your typical can of Spam, every time they eat at Kinsolving Dining Hall, or J2. Geography senior and sustainability student assistant at DHFS, Mustafa Monk, helps collect the data used to determine the amount of food being waste in the dining halls on campus. In order to collect the data for the study conducted every semester, DHFS workers like Monk and nutrition students sort food waste put into the dining hall conveyor belts into three categories, liquid waste, solid waste, and pizza crust. By the way, pizza crust accounted for roughly 94 pounds of the total projected place weight for spring of 2015. And now to Nick Castillo with the Daily Texan Sports Update. Thanks, Lillian. Texas renews its annual rivalry with Oklahoma on Saturday at 11 a.m. at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Saturday's game will be the 110th meeting between the two schools. 
Texas leads the series with 60 wins, 44 losses, and five ties against the Sooners. The Longhorns, however, have only won once since 2010. That came in 2013 when then-quarterback Case McCoy led Texas to a 36-20 win over Oklahoma. Entering that game, the Longhorns were heavy underdogs, which is very similar to this year where the 1-4 2015 Longhorns are 16.5-point underdogs. But redshirt freshman quarterback Gerard Hurd said he remembers 2013 and he wants to also upset this year's Sooners who come into the game ranked number 10 in the nation. But beating Oklahoma won't be an easy task. The Sooners come into the game with a potent passing attack led by junior quarterback Baker Mayfield. Mayfield has thrown for 1,382 yards and 13 touchdowns and has only thrown three interceptions this season. He helped lead the Sooners to a win over West Virginia last week. He's also used his feet to score four rushing touchdowns this season, which has helped them in their running game. Oklahoma also returns Samaje P. Ryan the 2014 leading rusher in the Big 12. This season, Piran, who's run for 382 yards and two touchdowns. If there's one thing Texas can exploit, though, it's the Sooners' defense, which has been a middle-of-the-road team. It's given up about 336 yards per game and 24 points. Despite their 4-0 record, their defense has not helped them out. The task will be even more difficult as the Longhorns may be without offensive tackle Kent Perkins and wide receiver DJ Johnson, both key players for the Texas offense. However, it's a rivalry game. So anything is possible as McCoy's Longhorns are a testament to that. Texas will be searching for its second win this season and the second win over Oklahoma in six years. And uh, what's your prediction for the score? Well, although it may be a rivalry game, Texas has really struggled this season being at 1-4. and four. Their loss to TCU was really bad at 50-7. to seven. So my prediction would be 48-17, but... You know, it being a rivalry game, anything can happen. Thanks, Nick. And we'll look forward to hearing your coverage on how OU still sucks. And now we have Matthew Adams, senior reporter in the studio, to tell us about how the Cockrell School of Engineering has seen an increase in the number of women enrolled. Thanks, Anthony. So the Cockrell School of Engineering has been working for quite some time now on increasing its diversity among genders. And since 1992, it has been working on its initiative through programs like the Women in Engineering program to increase this number to a goal that they're striving for within the next five years. What is that goal? This initiative was started in the mechanical engineering department by Carolyn Seeperset. What she and others are working on is called the 35 and 5 program, where women for the incoming class will be up to 35% within the next five years. And Matthew, could those low female enrollment rates have anything to do with perception? Uh, Absolutely. So in the mechanical engineering department, over the last two years, the department has seen an increase from 19 to 25%. The SuperSat said that the national average is around 12%. And she mentioned that a lot of that has to do with the perception or misunderstanding that people have when speaking to people, you know, you say mechanical engineering, a lot of people just associate that with mechanics or something along those lines. But she said as part of this goal was to change people's understanding and recognize that this is such a broad field and one of the broader fields of engineering that there's so much you can do with it than just simply be the mechanic that people think of. All right. And Campus Carry has seen some updates over the week. Uh, Could you tell us more about that? So the Campus Carry working group that 
Gregory Fenvis had formed. They've held their last two public forums, the first one on September 30th, and then the one Monday. Both of the public forums were still very heavily dominated by people who were against campus carry and the bill that passed by the legislation this past year. The first campus carry forum, there were about 250 people, and there was a drop-off in the second one to about 150. At the second one we saw, it was interesting because there were more faculty members that were there, and discussions had occurred about when all this is implemented. There are professors that are talking about stepping down from the current positions that they hold. Continuing on that subject, we also have our senior campus reporter, Nashua Bawab, in the studio to tell us about a UT professor who has stepped down. Thanks, Anthony. Um, So in a recent letter to President Fenves, UT professor Daniel Hammermesh said that after this semester, he would not come back to UT to teach because he feels that the risk of a student bringing a gun to class and shooting at him are much higher with the new campus carry legislation. Uh, What is Dr. Hammermesh's history with the university? He's been a professor here since 1993. Um, He had already retired in 2014, but had agreed with his department to teach in the falls of 2015, 2016, and 2017. He will not be coming back for the falls of 2016 and 2017. He also said that campus carry legislation will worsen higher education in Texas. Is Dr. Hammermesh doing this as a form of protest? Um, Hammermish told me he is not doing this as a protest and he doesn't think other professors are going to take his lead, mainly because they aren't in the same sort of retirement situation as him. Um, But he does think higher education will get worse because it will be harder to recruit good professors who have a lot of different options when it comes to choosing a university. He said UT may not be as appealing to those professors who do have a lot of choices. Thank you, Nashua. UT saw a spike in reported instances of rape that involved a member of the university community and occurred either on or off campus during 2014, according to the university's annual security report. The increase in reporting was in large part because of increased national media attention on sexual assault prevention and reporting, as well as campus efforts such as the Not On My Campus campaign, which encourages students to stand up against sexual assaults on social media, according to Chief Compliance Officer for University Compliance Services, Paul Liebman. Compliance Services is the agency responsible for ensuring the university's conformity to all state and federal human resources laws. Lieben said the programs have made survivors of assault more comfortable in reporting their experiences to student judicial services and the police. According to the report, instances of rape that were reported on UT non-residential properties went up from 0 to 13 from 2013 to 2014. On UT residential properties, the number fell from 8 to 4. Additionally, a total of 31 instances of rape involving members of the university community in non-campus buildings and property adjacent to the university were reported during 2014, up from 21 in 2013. And now to Chris Duncan and Kat Cardenas with the Daily Texan Backbeat. Anthony. So this week we're going to be going over something a little different. Uh, we have a, a black metal album from a uh, five-piece band called Deaf Heaven. The album is called New Bermuda. Let's take a listen. So this is nowhere near the kind of music that I no- normally listen to. Um, but I do like the way that they build their songs. It keeps growing and changing throughout the eight minutes. 
Mm-hmm. I will admit as well, I don't listen to metal that often. But uh, this this album definitely isn't strictly metal. The song changes pace a few times. Uh, you know, it picks up and slows down pretty often, and the guitar is really driving each song's pace. And you know, the guitar conveys what the lyrics can. One thing that I do like is that since you can't really understand the lyrics, it makes you pay more attention to the layers within the song. Yeah, definitely. The lyrics, you, you just can't understand them at all. You'd have to have a some kind of liner notes or something. But, uh, you know, the guitar subs in for the lyrics, and it does a really good job, sort of like how in a blues song, a guitarist can use their guitar to express emotions instead of singing. That's what Def Heaven does in this song. And the next track we have to, for you guys to listen to is Come Back, Check It Out. song for me felt a bit more uh, redemptive than the others on the album, but the mood is really changing between each song, so each song has its own little sort of tale to tell, and I think this one is, you know, more of a happy one. I was not a big fan of this song. <laughs> um, honestly, the only thing that got me through it the whole time was the guitar. That's true. The, you know, by this point, it, this is the fourth or fifth song on the album, and the album's starting to feel really long. Each song is, at minimum, eight minutes long so it's you know you can't just really if you're not into it you can't just listen for this long and you know enjoy it yeah i don't think anyone that's not familiar with them or with the genre would just pick it up check it out and then return to it so our last song here is the second song off of the album it's called luna So the lyrics for this song are probably the best on the album, which is hilarious because you literally cannot understand them unless you Google them. Mm-hmm. But the lyrics are actually way better than most other lyrics for songs in any other genre. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate. The lyrics are very good for a lot of these songs, but to actually you know understand them, you have to Google it. But the song was my favorite. It, it gets really dreamy at some points, and it builds a lot slower than other songs, but it, it felt like it kept my attention the entire time. Yeah, I think overall, um, the fact that so many of the songs are so long, it forces them to kind of keep building and keep changing things throughout so that you don't lose interest. Definitely. It. You were saying a little bit how you wouldn't come back to this album. In my opinion, I would. I would encourage people who don't listen to metal music to listen to this album because it's not strictly metal that you know, most people think of. It incorporates a lot of other influences and a lot of other elements of other music to make it, in my opinion, one of the best albums of the year. And guys, looking ahead to weekend two of ACL, what are five acts that any uh, UT students going this weekend should absolutely see? Florence and the Machine is going to be great. She subbed in for the Foo Fighters earlier this summer and Dave Grohl gave her a stamp of approval so she's definitely someone to check out. Yeah I would definitely say Florence and the Machine is going to be great on Sunday although you know I'd love to see The weekend too he's also really good. Modest Mouse is another one of the top headlining exclusive acts but I feel like they might bomb I've never seen them live but you know they're definitely out of their prime but they're still a good band with a lot of great songs uh, another smaller act uh, Vince Staples everybody should go see him uh, if you're if you're into you know Kendrick Lamar and J-Rock that kind of rap you'll definitely like Vince Staples Chance the Rapper is definitely another person that you should check out he puts on a really energetic show so maybe you woke up late 
maybe your Uber is stuck in traffic. What are some bands that we can miss? I would definitely say, and this is just me, 21 Pilots, I don't like them. I I don't. Everybody should go see 21 Pilots. Yeah, Chris disagrees. But as far as people that you could definitely miss, Alt-J, they're not really good performers. They have a great album, but they don't really have a good presence. Vance Joy also has a very dull stage presence and most people only know one song of his, so you really won't be enjoying the concert that much. And then I think of all the performers, Ken and I can both agree that Ben Howard was easily the most disappointing on Sunday. Definitely. At least first weekend, he just got up on stage, played a bunch of really slow songs, and then left early. It was just surprising how bad his set actually was. All right, thanks guys. Now it's time for Crime Corner. Lillian, what's on your radar this week? On October 3rd, a non-UT subject honked at a passing patrol vehicle to summon assistance. The officer looked at the subject's car and observed that another non-UT subject was standing by the closed driver's window of the car. The officer separated the standing subject from the car and learned both parties had recently ended their relationship. The two subjects began to argue while the first was providing a ride for the second to a bus stop. The first subject pulled over to let the second subject out of her vehicle. The second subject did not want to end the relationship and was arguing his point through the closed window. Officers discovered the second subject had an outstanding outside agency arrest warrant for speeding on a state highway. The officers also found the second subject was in possession of a glass pipe containing burned marijuana residue. Piper reported that he is not sure of the future of their relationship, but for now, the two are separated. On October 7th at 1.20 a.m., a non-UT subject was found sleeping in the bushes along the north fence line of campus at Walter Webb Hall. The subject was awakened with the issuance of a written criminal trespass warning. And that about does it for this week's edition of the Daily Texan Newscast. In the meantime, there is always more news at DailyTexanOnline.com. You can also follow the Daily Texan Twitter, at The Daily Texan, and this podcast, at Texan Newscast. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Just search for The Daily Texan Newscast. We'll see you all next week. Bye, guys. This podcast was produced by The Daily Texan and hosted by Anthony Green and Lillian Michelle. This week's guests were Nick Castillo, Matthew Adams, Chris Duncan, Kat Cardenas, and Nashio Abouab. The music was by Jazar. Join us for our next episode on October 16th and check out our continuing coverage at DailyTexanOnline.com.